This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, I tell you, it didn't take much longer than 100 days for Joe Biden to show exactly what he was capable of as president, which is bad. It's not much in the way of good things, and it's a whole lot of bad things that we've been seeing out of this White House, not the least of which concerns the security of the nation of Israel. It's incredible. Here we have all these people lining up in states across the country, running out of fuel after a cyber attack by Russians on the colonial pipeline system, and we've got all of these things going I, You know, Joe Biden's taking the lid. Okay. Yeah, there's rockets flying into Israel. Oh, okay. Here's the, here's the response to this. Listen to this. This is from the Washington Examiner. America is unjustly calling on its close ally Israel to exercise restraint. Oh, wonderful. Amid Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad's launching of more than a thousand rockets from Gaza into Israel, the Biden administration seems to have forgotten who is to blame for this crisis. On Wednesday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken observed that the most important thing right now is exactly what we're doing, which is to be engaged across the board in pushing on de-escalation. Blinken acknowledged that there is a very clear, absolute distinction between the terrorist organization Hamas that is indiscriminately raining down rockets targeting civilians civilians and Israel's response defending itself targeting the terrorists. But he added, Israel has an extra burden in trying to do everything it possibly can to avoid civilian casualties, even as it is rightfully responding in defense of its people. Oh, okay. What what a strong statement. And as this writer puts it, Israel under nonstop rocket fire has every right to defend itself. Its government should not be asked to de-escalate by charter and by action. Hamas seeks the annihilation of the Jewish state. Anti-Semitism is imbued in its ideology and ambition. To ask the Jewish state to act in ignorance of these facts is fundamentally unserious. And more than that, it's wrong. Yes, civilian casualties should be avoided wherever possible. Unfortunately, in war, civilians die. This is a truth as old as war itself. And very few militaries take precautions as great as the the Israeli Defense Forces to mitigate the risks to civilians. To achieve its security interests, Israel needs to destroy the terrorist capabilities and reestablish deterrence against them. Do you miss President Trump yet? Hmm? The Biden administration's poor choices go beyond its misguided call for restraint, they say. The administration recently restored funding to the Palestinians who have responded by reminding us that they have little interest in a durable peace. Under Trump, the United States unequivocally supported Israel's right to defend itself. In doing so, Trump put the onus on Hamas and the Palestinians to suspend the use of violence against civilians. And that's the correct approach. It goes on, but basically they're right on the money. Oh, Israel, you really ought to de-escalate. The fact of the matter is they they shoot rockets from civilian areas on purpose so they will have a situation in which Israel will have to respond and civilians will possibly die so they can use it as some kind of a PR tool. 
This is how terrorists work. And the Biden administration, it's incredible. Where's Biden on all of this? What is going on here? We've got Kamala Harris, the vice president, who is supposed to go to the border. How many days ago was it now? 45 days ago when she was out on the tarmac and reporters were asking her about the border and she was giggling because apparently that's all she could really do. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be petty. But every video I see of this woman, she's giggling, giggling like a schoolgirl. You're supposed to be the vice president of the United States and you're giggling and acting ridiculous and kissing your husband through a mask and not doing your job. And actually, I have to be a little bit careful in what I say about that, because I think if Kamala Harris were actually doing what Kamala Harris wants to do, that's not a job I think America needs done. So there's a whole problem there. But you know what? There's a sense in which you look at the situation with this out of touch, really way too old to be president who's in the White House, who's sleeping, who doesn't know what's going on, who's committing gaffes, who's making horrendous policy decisions, who has horrendous employees, who's issuing horrendous executive orders. And you go, how do you run a country like this? How do you sustain a country like this? I mean, I, I, I was probably... The person in the United States, this is not provable, but probably the person in the United States who had the least amount of respect for Barack Obama. I, I never liked him on any level, it had nothing to do with anything other than his policies and his ideology, but it, at least he was cognizant. I mean, I don't know. Really, what is worse, having somebody who was influenced by communists and has a socialistic outlook on the world being cognizant and able to do whatever he wants to do? Or is it worse to have somebody who claims to be a moderate but acts like a radical but is out of it? I mean, the world is laughing at us and our foreign enemies are plotting against us. And and who can blame them? And why in the world wouldn't Hamas attack Israel when Biden's in office? They know they're not going to get any support from the United States. Israel isn't. Not in any meaningful sense of the, of the term, despite the fact that you had a number of people in the Biden administration initially saying, oh, yeah, we'll stand by Israel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? All right. Well, that remains to be seen. Could you wake up your boss and see if he has any interest in supporting Israel? So now the U.N. envoy comes out and says, we're maybe on the brink of a full scale war in Gaza. What is the United States going to do? I don't know. They're too busy being woke. They're too busy worrying about the diversity of the military. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. Now, now comes this story, and you got to read this. You can go online and read this for yourself. But there's now an open letter that's been put out by more than 120 retired flag officers calling on Americans to rally and reject America's excessive embrace of a radical leftist agenda, particularly the anti-racism efforts the left weaponizes to suppress dissent. This is from The Federalist. This is part of what this letter says. Uh, And the signatories, by the way, include President Reagan's former national security advisor, John Poindexter, President George W. Bush's former deputy undersecretary of defense, William Boykin. We know him, Jerry Boykin, and retired Army Brigadier General Donald Bullduck, who is now running for Senate in New Hampshire. But they say, for example, our nation is in deep peril. We are in a fight for our survival as a constitutional republic like no other time since our founding in 1776. The conflict is between supporters of socialism and Marxism versus supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. It's crazy. They blasted the Democrats' assaults on election integrity. They blasted the pursuit of open borders, the rampant censorship from Silicon Valley, the reengagement with Iran on the nuclear deal, which is a disaster, dismissal of energy independence highlighted through the elimination of the Keystone Pipeline. At the same time, 
that we see the Colonial Pipeline shut down at least until the end of the week because of these cyber hackers. Uh, you know, the whole thing's in chaos. And and what do we do? Oh, well, that's great. You know, Biden and his radical Green Party sorts are probably sitting around going, yeah, hey, windmills will save us. That's fantastic. Solar power. Wonderful. We can usher in a Green New Deal. It'll be a green paradise. Just get rid of that oil and gas. Fossil fuels are so evil. Yeah, well, tell that to the people who are paying in some places four bucks for a gallon of gas. And ask yourself, why do you think it is that you're paying four bucks for a gallon of gas, maybe even before this colonial pipeline shutdown occurred? Um, Let's see. What's changed since you were paying two bucks or thereabouts for gas? Not too long ago. You know, Uh, let's see. We've got people flooding across the borders. No wonder these retired flag officers are, you know, calling a five alarm fire here. We're in a five alarm fire. There's no doubt we're in a five alarm fire. And look at the man whose hand is on the till. I mean, it's crazy. Biden has aggressively pursued this agenda, as they point out, in large part through the power of the pen, with no clear legislative mandate to enact a hard left agenda given a November victory of less than 43,000 votes across three tipping point states, an evenly divided Senate and narrow six seat majority in the lower chamber after unexpected Democrat losses in the House. As they say, the current administration has launched a full-blown assault on our constitutional rights in a dictatorial manner, bypassing Congress with more than 50 executive orders quickly signed, many reversing the previous administration's effective policies and regulations. And they're calling Americans to throw out far-left politicians in favor of candidates at the federal, state, and local levels who place value in fiscal responsibility and individual rights over socialist collectivism as conditions present uh, get worse. And, and I agree with them wholeheartedly. If we the people have this nation, then it's up to we the people to right the ship by the grace and mercy of God Almighty. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll be back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered. I knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Emmy went to a preborn center in need of guidance. They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. 
Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel of Jesus Christ in action. Would you join Preborn in helping more moms choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies from abortion. And this month, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. One of the most important tactics of the pro-life movement over the years has been that of public witness against abortion, especially through prayer. And earlier this week, Pro-Life Action League conducted a prayer rally in front of Illinois' newest abortuary, the Planned Parenthood facility in Waukegan, located in northern Illinois. And my next guest called the rally the first step in a new wave of pro-life activism as these pandemic restrictions are finally beginning to lift. And here to tell us more about it is Pro-Life Action League Executive Director Eric Scheidler. Eric, so good to welcome you back. How have you been? Been doing well. You know, my, my father, Joe Scheidler, passed away back in January. He founded this organization and was a pro-life activist for nearly 50 years, all well, right up until his dying day at the age of 93. Mm. And so, um, you know, one of the sorrows for him in his last days was how the pandemic has you know, limited so, so much of what we do out in public yeah. to protest against abortion. So it was, a, it was a real honor to be able to get out there on the streets with this prayer vigil um, two days ago and, um, and to do so kind of in his name and in his honor. Oh, man. Well, first of all, my deepest sympathies and condolences to you and your family. I loved your father. Not only did I get the chance to interview him on several occasions, but I got to march with him back in the day when uh, I was back in Chicago. And he was just an absolute hero and and the real founder of the pro-life movement in many ways. And you're carrying on that tradition. Talk a little bit about your prayer rally the other day, because this, this is really important, Eric. One of the greatest things about your organization is you guys are out there. You are not afraid to take the truth out on the street. Tell us a little bit about what went on. Well, you know, in the, in the months since my dad passed away, I have received so many phone calls and emails and letters from people telling me about the time that they were with him in Des Moines or in Seattle or in Boston, all over the country, and, and how going out to an event that he was hosting got them involved in pro-life in their local community. And, and that's what we're doing today, too. We were out in Waukegan outside this massive and very ugly Planned Parenthood facility, um, the largest in the Midwest, very close to the Wisconsin border and designed to prey on women from Wisconsin where the pro-life laws are much stronger, where abortion is much more restricted. And, um, and I just, I hope that we will see the same reaction. I'm looking forward to the day, you know, maybe 30 years from now when someone is reminiscing about the time they came out to a, a pro-life vigil in Waukegan and that got them fired up. Yeah. We've had a great group of people come out. We had about 100 people join us for this vigil across the street from Planned Parenthood. And it was a beautiful cross-section of the community. We had Protestants and Catholics. We had Hispanics, African-Americans, whites and Asians, men and women, young and old. We had, you know, like the Crusaders for Life Youth Pro-Life group was there. We had, you know, Knights of Columbus out there. We had just an amazing group, a real cross-section of the community. And uh, we were able to announce a community meeting that we're holding in that town uh, in a couple of weeks to 
boost that pro-life outreach at Planned Parenthood's you know, newest abortion facility. And it was a really uh, wonderful day of renewal. We heard from some wonderful clergy and, and local activists about getting involved in the difference that we're making. And it's just exactly the kind of event my dad would have loved and, and that I think is needed, especially as our country starts to open up. Absolutely. Well, I know you and I have talked about this before, but for listeners who weren't privy to what we discussed concerning the origins of this particular facility, can you give people a little bit of background on you know kind of the skullduggery, if you will, of Planned Parenthood and even opening this facility in the first place, kind of the stealth maneuvers that they performed in order to get it open? You know, we here in the state of Illinois have really been targeted by Planned Parenthood. The Illinois Planned Parenthood affiliate is one of the most uh, one of the busiest and wealth, wealth, wealthiest in the entire country and most politically powerful. They have been for many years now gradually forming uh, you know, the, uh, the legislature to do their bidding down in Springfield, our capital. Yeah. Uh, and they've been building these massive abortion facilities on the borders of other states. We have a, a giant facility that opened up in, in 2018 in Flossmore, very close to Indiana. Right. Another facility that opened up in Fairview Heights, Illinois, just across the border from Missouri. And now this most recent one opening up in Waukegan, just over the border from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. In every case, they find a building, they find a piece of land, they find some place they can put their facility, they create a front company, a shell company, they buy the land, they buy an, create another shell company to get all their building permits and, so that nobody ever knows who they are. The city uh, fathers and mothers can't ask questions about what this is going to be because they don't know. Yeah. Uh, suddenly there's an abortion facility opening up. Suddenly there's a reporter calling the mayor or there's a, a post on, on, in this case it was a post on Twitter mm-hmm. announcing a ribbon cutting. I mean, think about it. Wow. In May of 2020, as the entire rest of the country shutting down, as businesses are, are not only closing for the lockdown, but even going out of business permanently because of the, the hit they've taken losing their customers for so long. And then Planned Parenthood is opening a gigantic abortion facility and at the same time receiving over $3 million in Illinois of stimulus and COVID relief money, Ugh. money that's meant to help businesses to survive, not Ugh. to open up massive new abortion facilities. That's the way that Planned Parenthood operates. They lie. They steal, and they murder. Yes, they're they killing hundreds of children every year. At every one of those, I'm sorry, every every week, at each one of these massive abortion facilities they're operating in Illinois, and many of those children are coming from other parts of the Midwest. It's disgusting. Three million dollars. How did they pull that off? How in the world? I mean, I know Illinois politicians, but how in the world did they get three million dollars? How in the world did that happen? They simply applied for a PPP loan like so many other businesses, like the restaurants that were shut down, like the the tool and dye shops that were shut down, and and other small businesses that were supposed to be helped by this money. Planned Parenthood went in, and despite the fact that they're not eligible for that money, they claimed uh, that they were, and went and applied for it. And because, you know, there was... It was so quick that that money was released. Yes. You know, the government um, knew that they had to operate very quickly to save these businesses that were threatened. And Planned Parenthood exploited that. There was no oversight. There was, you know, because there wasn't the time. There wasn't the manpower for it. with everyone working from home. <sighs> and that's how they exploited the system. They will always find a way to exploit any opportunity to expand their business. Certainly did it this time. Disgusting. I was looking at the website for the Waukegan facility, and they said Planned Parenthood of Illinois provides in-clinic abortions up to 19 weeks and six days. And then they mentioned all the other locations, like you said, in Aurora and Flossmoor and some of these other places. But I was going back to a study that was revealed last year, Eric. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but it was a study in the B- 
BMJ's Journal of Medical Ethics over in the UK. And it concluded that unborn babies can feel pain before 24 weeks and possibly as early as 12 weeks gestation. The very idea that they would abort babies almost up to 20 weeks gestation and that baby in the womb could feel pain. I can't even, I, I mean, it's very difficult for me to even dwell on because it's so upsetting. And I mean, this is why you, you go and you pray and you protest. This is important. You know, one of the phrases my father used to use a lot was, you only live once. Uh, you know, he was an ardent uh, pro-life activist. He was a deeply faithful Christian. Uh, and that included uh, a sort of a gratitude for the gifts of life that we receive. You know, he liked to have a scoop of ice cream with meals, you know, and he'd say, you only live once. You order ice cream for everybody at the table. But there was another side to that, you know. The unborn child who is killed by abortion only lives once, too. And the thought that someone's entire life would be defined by this moment of horrific violence and total, utter abandonment by the rest of the human family is, is just horrific. Uh, that's what Planned Parenthood is all about. But we're all about saying these children deserve the chance to have that one life, and they deserve to be born. That's our message to Planned Parenthood in Illinois. That's our message to the entire abortion industry and the entire American public to join us in proclaiming our responsibility to care for every single human life, above all, those who are the most precious and vulnerable the child in the womb. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that you've also mentioned, Eric, is that Planned Parenthood is now trying to repeal Illinois' Parental Notice of Abortion Act. Where does that stand at the moment? Oh, my goodness. This has been a Herculean effort, a true David and Goliath story. They've been trying to repeal the Parental Notice of Abortion Act for a couple of years now. Um, about three years ago, they got taxpayer funding of abortion. Two years ago, they got the Reproductive Health Act that sweeps away nearly every limit on abortion in the state. And the only limit remaining mm. is that minor girls have to tell their parents if they're having an abortion. Or, no, I'm sorry, to be accurate about it, it's the abortion facility that has to inform the, the parents that they're going oh. to be doing this abortion. And they're try- that's not good enough for them. Uh, 12,000 children have been saved from abortion by this law. Uh, not only that, but countless girls have been protected from sex trafficking. Their abusers have not been able to use abortion to cover up their victimization, their violent victimization of these girls. Mm. Uh, But Planned Parenthood sees 12,000 abortions and gets dollar signs in their eyes. They want this money. They want this expansion of abortion. They don't want there to be the slightest hint that there's anything at all wrong with abortion, even if it means endangering our daughters. We've been fighting on every front, talking to our legislators. We've been training people in our state to do Zoom meetings with their, with their state reps and their senators, since um, in-person meetings aren't, aren't really allowed right now at their offices or down in Springfield. We've been putting yard signs out. I distributed uh, you know, scores of yard signs to the crowd at our vigil on Tuesday. But, you know, it, we won't, really won't know until the legislature adjourns at the end of this month whether we've been successful so far. The bill has not come out of committee. That's a very, very hopeful sign. Uh, it looks like we've built up just enough uh, question marks in the minds of, of Democratic pro-choice legislators that this is a bridge too far. 
And uh, so far, we're holding our ground. Really desperately need prayers, though. Please pray for the pro-life people of Illinois. Please pray for the entire state mm-hmm. that we will be able to maintain um, this law and, and stop this repeal effort that would just be so disastrous. Oh, we absolutely will be praying for that because when you look at the radical law that Illinois passed just recently, uh, a la New York and what they did out in New York, uh, ver- it just it's it's mind-boggling what's going on with the you know emboldenment of the pro- abortion industry, especially now that they've got a Democrat in the White House and in a Democratic House. It's just it, it, it's just crazy what's going on in this country. But we are so, so grateful, Eric, for all of the great work of Pro-Life Action League. And I want to refer people to your website for more information. And if you'd like to get involved in future pro-life activism, I highly recommend it. Prolifeaction.org is their website. It's called prolifeaction.org. God bless you, Eric Scheidler. Thank you so much for being with us. And we'll look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. And please keep sending those prayers to Illinois. You bet. You bet. Surely will. Thanks again, Eric. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Meffer. Today And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. What would it have been like to spend one day every week with one of the best-known Christians in the world? Well, that's what my next guest did when over the course of more than 15 years, he spent almost every Saturday with evangelist Billy Graham. Dr. Don Wilton was Graham's longtime pastor at the First Baptist Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He's also founder of the Encouraging Word Global Network. And now he is out with a new book, giving readers a behind-the-scenes look into Graham's life and legacy from the perspective of a pastor and also a friend. The book is called Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. And so good to have you here, Dr. Wilton. How are you? Well, thank you, Janet. I'm just so delighted and honored to be with you and to share with your listeners. And what a great privilege indeed to talk about Dr. Billy Graham. Oh, for sure. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here. It's obviously a really rare thing for somebody to know a world-famous figure as well as you knew Billy Graham. And I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, how did you first meet him? How was it that you two became friends in the first place? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. I'm still pondering that in my in my own heart, you know. <laughs> how could, How is it possible? Right. Well, Um, You know, I had had uh, quite a lot of association with the Billy Graham organization in the 80s. But in 1993, more specific, in July of 1993, um, I was privileged to become the pastor of First Baptist Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina, in the upstate. And uh, we're on television. And uh, when I finished uh, my first message here, came back to my office and my phone rang. And a very familiar voice was on the other side of the line. <laughs> Nearly scared me half to death. <laughs> and uh took me a little while, but of course, I, he had such a distinctive brogue, you know. And uh, he was calling me. He and uh, Miss Ruth were calling ostensibly to welcome me uh, to the upstate. And it was after a long conversation, he 
he asked me whether I would consider coming up to visit him at, at their home in Montreat. <laughs> uh, so tongue-in-cheek, uh, you, you can imagine how, how I rearranged my schedule and uh, went up there in fear and trembling and uh, was carried up from the Montreat office and greeted by just the most incredible man and most precious lady I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and that one meeting... Um, forged a a friendship for over 20 years um, that took on a life of its own and still to this day just leaves me with a sense of great wonder and gratitude. And really, that's what Saturdays with Billy, the book that I've just written, is, is all about. Well, right. And I know that you were friends for, what was it, about a decade before he asked you to be his pastor? What was that like, just developing that friendship before you ever were his pastor and then started visiting with him regularly? Well, you know, Janet, um, I had a very, uh, I hope that people will understand I'm sure you would, but I, I had a real sense of, um, of, of amazement. Dr. Graham, to me, was uh, such a, an amazing man. Obviously, I was with somebody in my eyes who was so famous and so renowned, and, and presidents and prime ministers were calling in, uh, and people all over the world. And so for the first 10 years... I literally never told anybody. Um, I just pondered these things in my heart. My my wife, Karen, knew about it and uh, probably my sons and daughter. Um, but I never talked about it. Wow. And um, that all changed when after 10 years, uh, Dr. Graham, uh, our friendship had grown so deeply. I mean, we'd become real friends. I mean our laughter and fellowship and the things we were doing together. And, and one day he called me up there and asked me if I would consider proposing that he actually become a member of our church. <laughs> That's another whole story. I mean, it was a wonderful event. But following that, he made the announcement and people, it was reported in press and radio and television literally all over the world. Such a little thing such as that. Right. And he he made that. Very interestingly to me, Janet, uh, sometime later, Mr. Graham did reference the fact um, about the manner with which I had guarded my friendship. It, it evidently made a mark on him, and he <laughs> valued that the confidentiality of our relationship. And uh, he had such an ethic about him. He he was such a deeply spiritual man. And uh, to be able to sit at his feet week by week, and I, I felt like I was in a proverbial seminary uh, spiritual experience. And he would he would lay his hands on me and pray for me all the time. And... Uh, it's just, uh, he would be most unhappy hearing me say this. I just want you to know, Jeff, <laughs> because he was so humble. Yeah. But I, I felt like, please forgive me for saying this, but I, I, I felt almost like I was in the presence of the Lord. But, um, but you can understand how that would be 
I don't know if I would use the word intimidating since you did become friends over such a long period of years, but certainly daunting when you first were getting to know him simply because you're walking into it, seeing him as a very famous, as you said, world-renowned figure, and then you get to know him as a person. And it's kind of interesting because you've said that, that he was making a comment to the effect of, you know, people sometimes forget that some of the loneliest people in the world are those in the public eye. And I, do you believe that that applied to him? Was there any sense that he really appreciated your confidentiality in part because it kind of protected him from being in the public eye and just having a friend like a normal person? I think that's very true, Janet. And I think a very accurate statement about Mr. Graham. Um, he was so well known um, and literally all over the world. Um, and And I think that his his lonesomeness, not loneliness, but his lonesomeness uh, was very much alleviated by the special nature of such a very close friendship. He had many friends, uh, Janet. I, w- I was not the only one. Sure. And and he he knew and loved many people. But I will say that for over 20 years, uh, the last. 25 years of his life, the Lord allowed a, a, a very deep, personal, intimate friendship to occur between a most unlikely person and, and someone as well known as Mr. Graham. Sure. And he valued that friendship. We, we, we did what friends did. We, we laughed our heads off and we ate hot dogs together and we, we walked and we talked and we discussed and we cried together and he shared his heart with me. He would pour out his heart with me. And I felt so unworthy of any of that and just deeply valued um, the intimacy of the relationship that, that began to develop to the level at which it came. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he asked me to hold his hand while he goes to heaven. So if you think about, that yeah. and and you try to picture that and in one of my chapters in Saturdays with Billy uh, which I entitled Billy's Friday that's exactly what happened amazing and it was it was very special and Mr. Graham um, s- spent such a public life uh, we couldn't go to a I mean we go to a restaurant and people would be lined up you know uh you you couldn't go anywhere, walk anywhere, do anything. He was recognizable instantaneously. Yes. And yes. he handled it all so well, but he was so humble that it would shock him. <laughs> it would just shock him. He would it would be like what are the what are these people doing here? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's so, that that is an endearing quality, though. I think that's that's part of the reason so many people did feel very, a very personal connection with him, not just because those who had gone forward at his crusades came to know the Lord through his ministry, but also because his his endearing quality of being so humble was why they loved him. We're going to take a break. We'll come right back with Dr. Don Wilton. His book is Saturdays with Billy. Stay with us on Janet Mefford today.
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Thank you so much for being with us. And I am speaking with Billy Graham's longtime pastor, Dr. Don Wilton. He's out with a great new book. It's called Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. And talking about the fact that almost every Saturday until Billy Graham passed away in 2018, Dr. Wilton was there and he was fellowshipping with him and just being a good friend as well as his pastor. It's kind of funny, Dr. Wilton, one of the things that you talk about when you would go out to the Graham's home to visit with Dr. Graham is you tried recording him once and and that was only once wasn't it that that was just a one-time thing and then you never tried that again can you share a little bit about that story oh how memorable that was janet too it was very early i mean this is going back you know into the 90s and uh karen my wife was sitting having tea with with uh, mrs graham with miss ruth and we were just having the best time and and dr graham who was very active in ministry then got up and and left the room and uh, he went off to his study or something. And uh, I write about this in Saturdays with Billy. And something inside of me said, now's my big moment, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So much to my embarrassment, I reached down and pulled out of my briefcase a, a video camera and started shooting a video and, uh, of, of Karen and Ruth having tea together. And, and then I suddenly became aware of this presence and looked over my right shoulder, and as I say, you know who had come back into the room. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I looked over there, and uh, I tell you, it took me one look uh, to, let's just put it this way, if I was trying to interpret the look that I saw in his beautiful blue eyes that day, 
um, I realized that this was probably not the best thing that I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So I, that was I it. quickly just fumbled and kind of dropped the video camera. And I tell people in the book, I said, that was the last known, even slightest effort for me to record anything <laughs> about any of our meetings that we had together. That's amazing. Did you keep the footage? Yeah. Do you still have the footage? I've got the footage. I've got it. I've got that little piece of video. I've got actually him looking at me. (laughs) Oh, boy, you do. Oh, that would be hilarious to have that. The the uh, turn off I the need camera. to put that on, on America's Funniest Home Videos or something, you know? <laughs> that um, would be pretty funny where he's saying, shut the camera off, I don't want uh, to be filmed. But, you know, he was so gracious, you know, and I, you know, when, when we became so close, you know, he, I would be up there and he would have these people coming from all over the world and he always wanted me to be with him because he knew I knew him so well and so... Uh, he would have me there to to be able to um, prevent certain situations from happening that he was uncomfortable with, mm, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Janet, one of my many roles as his very close friend was to protect him, if, if I may say that. Sure. And, and to protect his legacy. And, you know, as he aged and... Uh, which he did. I mean, he lived to be almost 100 years old, you know. Right. And uh, I was with him the whole time. And, you know, as he became less capable physically, so it was our relationship uh, just grew deeper and deeper. And mm-hmm. so I had much joy. I would read to him. And, you know, I even toward the end, we'd put on watch golf and I would provide the commentary, you know, <laughs> on the golf because he couldn't see it properly. Oh. And uh, and uh, we we would laugh our heads off, you know, because um, I'd, I'd say things to him like, you know, someone would putt the ball and because he loved golf and. And he'd say, well, did it go in in the hole? I'd say, I'd say to him, well, Brother Billy, would you like it to have gone in the hole or not? <laughs> <laughs> and he would say, well, did it or didn't? And I said, no, you're in charge. You tell me. <laughs> and he'd just laugh, you know. Oh, that's and, uh, funny. That's I'd, funny. I'd say to him, you want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> right, right. Well, that, He thought that was so funny, you know. That is really funny. You know, one of the things you could describe, some of the things he used to say to you when you got together on Saturday, and he would sometimes ask about your sermon or you know whether or not you two could pray together. But this line that you mentioned really struck me as just so sweet. How about just talking to me about the Lord? I mean, that that is just incredible. Here's Billy Graham saying, Pastor, please talk to me about the Lord. That's That, that just seems like such a simple request, and yet there's something very poignant about it. There, that really is. Uh, he, you know, this great man of God, this spiritual giant had such a, a, a submissive attitude toward the things of God. Hmm. And he, Janet, how do I say this? He had such a profound respect for the man of God. I was his friend, but I was his pastor. Hmm. And, and even though this doesn't make sense, uh, if I may say very lovingly, this is really a silly statement. Um, 
Janet, if, if you were looking at the two of us talking, which we did all the time, here's what you would see, okay? You would see the picture of a nobody who thought he was a somebody mm-hmm. talking to a somebody who thought he was a nobody. <laughs> wow. Now, everything was backward. And, and Mr. Graham would turn to me and say, Don, would you teach me? about what God says. Hmm. Now, try and think about that for a minute. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. Wow. What do you mean? You know, in the early days, I'd look at him as if to say, Brother Billy, uh, I, uh, I don't have anything to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> could, uh-huh. could you please answer your own question? I need to know. Yeah. Because I was the boy. I was the, the kid. I was the... I needed to be, but he would, he was so genuine. This was not just him saying something to make me feel good. He was so humble and contrite in spirit and his lowliness was in fact the high mark of his high standing. Hmm. And he was precious. He, he had such a love for everybody. Mr. Graham never saw people accepting through the lens of the loving Savior. Many times when I speak around the country, I will speak to people about the face of God's grace. Hmm. I nearly called my book that, by the way. That's a good title. The Face of God's Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just settled on Saturdays with Billy because it, it speaks eloquently to, to this conversation on a, on a repeated basis. And... Mr. Graham so exhibited uh, the essential attributes of God and would absolutely be not happy with me at all if he heard me say that right now, even though I would say it to him. (laughs) But as much as I would say that to him, Janet, we were friends. Sure. So I'd make him laugh. I was the one person who could look at him and say to him, now, Brother Billy, I think you're being far too humble right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Now, that took me a few years to start saying things like that, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that's what he, he loved and respected, and, and that's the type of friendship. And so when eventually he went off to heaven to be with the Lord, that, that funeral time, the millions of people around the world marching his body into the rotunda of the capital of the United States of America in the presence of all those famous people, you know? Incredible. Uh, hearing Michael W. Smith play just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, mm. and that thou would bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. That that hallmark of his crusade ministry, uh, together with Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea, uh, always spoke to me about the uh, open-heartedness with which God's servant, Dr. Billy Graham, offered his life as a living sacrifice to be held in the palm of the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God used him in such a mighty way and continues to do so. 
My goodness. Well, that's why people really need to read your recollections of your time with Billy Graham, because I really wish we had more time to get into all the details. They're so precious. Saturdays with Billy is the name of the book, My Friendship with Billy Graham by Dr. Don Wilton. And it's just been wonderful talking to you, Dr. Wilton. What a special relationship you had. And it was great to have you here. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. God bless you. Thank you for being with us on Janet Meffer today. As always, we hope you'll tune in again next time and we'll see you then. God bless.